Welcome, and thanks for joining us for this episode of the C3 Church Podcast. You're about to listen into a message from one of our gatherings. To find out more about our community, where we gather both in person and online, and how to get involved, head to cfreechurch.ca. Now, let's listen into a message from a recent service. But hey, welcome to all of you today, whether it's your first time here, you've been here for a while. We are, we are in uh, beginning a month of October, we are doing a series on the values that make us. You can see it up on the screen, the values that make us. And we want to talk about those things that, are, that really govern and, and determine how we, um, how we operate as a church, but also uh, those things that are important to us. I think, uh, you know, a lot of times uh, we associate with people who have the same values. In fact, uh, can I give you a little marriage hint right now? Your goal in marriage is not to have the same dreams, but to develop the same values. To grow in your values together. When your values separate, then you separate. Because those things. And so values are a really important thing. And, and we're going to talk about values today. And, and we have three core values as a church. We're going to talk about those in the last three weeks of October. Of course, next week's Thanksgiving. So we want to celebrate Thanksgiving. But I wanted to lay for us, I want to lay a foundation um, for us to talk about values today. And uh, I, I titled the message, uh, what hill will you die on? What hill will you die on? Because it, the reality is, is those things that we hold dearest to us and the most important values in our life are the things that we're willing to give our life for. And in that, there's, uh, you know, there, that's, a, that's a lesson for us. You know, I, I, um, many of you know I'm, I'm in school right now. And uh, one of the recent things that I've been reading through is how the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit in the New Testament book of Luke and book of Acts is often associated with pain. How many, how many of you ever saw that before? <laughs> because, and, and it actually makes sense because in a lot of ways, the Spirit moves the strongest when we're at the very core of what we'll die for which is why we see the Holy Spirit moving so strongly in places where there's a lot of persecution. Because the Holy Spirit comes into that at a place of greatest need. So I I want us to take some time to really walk through uh, these underlying values that we have. And today what I want to do is uh, is I want to talk about what, you know, we're going to talk about the the core values we have as C3 Church here in the region. But there's some lower underlying, more foundational values that we have as a church if you're a church, you have these values. I want to talk about that. I want to, if you've got your Bibles, I'd like you to go with me to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 to 4, uh, verse 10 to chapter 4, verse 4. And we do put them, just so you know, we put them up on the screen uh, as a benefit, but I, I really encourage you to have your own Bible that you can follow along with. Um, we don't read Scripture publicly together a lot, but it's beneficial practice. The early church did it all the time. They didn't have the written word, so they were always reading it, which incidentally, that's why Paul can write in Romans, he can say, faith comes by hearing, because every time they gathered, they would hear the word of God, not just read the word of God. So there's a particular context there. But in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10, starting verse 10, it says, you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, and love, endurance, persecution, sufferings. What kind of things happened to me in Antioch Iconium and Lystra. The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Uh, Have you redacted that in your Bible? 
Uh, it's, it's there, just so you know. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And, and if you'll just highlight this next section here, it says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know these, those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Then he goes on to say, all scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. I, I thought it good that we revisit the foundational truths and the foundational values upon which not just our church, but church itself is built. Our culture has a way of bumping us around. How many of you have noticed that? And uh, we live in our culture more than we live in our church culture. And sometimes our values get adapted to fit our culture rather than allowing the word of God to adapt and to uh, reinforce the values God has for us. Values in our are an interesting thing. I, I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, a lot of times there is a tension in, uh, there's a tension in values that uh, we might say we have a value, and then all of a sudden we're not living according to that value. Let me give you, let me give you an instance. Uh, I value traffic laws. I also value being on time. Once in a while, that comes in conflict. Come on, you're looking at me. Don't, don't look at me like that. I know you're thinking of all those times you've done the exact same thing. I value traffic laws. I don't want everybody to do whatever they want to do on the road. I, I want people to stop at stop signs. I want people to obey the speed limit. I want people to drive safely, and I, want, I value that. But I also value being on time. And sometimes there is a little clash, a value clash. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. The value clash. I was, uh, I was in Vernon last week, and I got away a little late. And when I arrived in Vernon at church, uh, because I don't check text messages when I'm driving because I value safety, and uh, because I don't check them, I uh, got to church and I flipped open my phone and I saw a message from one of my granddaughters said, look beside you. I kind of knew what she meant. Uh, and I said, what do you mean? She said, well, we were driving right beside you. And by the way, you went through two stop signs, or two stop lights, two red lights. And I went, no, I did not. Because I watched that very carefully. She said, but you were speeding. And I went, yes, I was. Because at that point in time, I, I went, you know what? Being on time <laughs> overrode my value of traffic. It's a terrible confession. I can't realize I'm making this to everybody. Uh, you know, but, but we have those clashes of values. You know, I, I also va value not hurting anybody. How many of you value not hurting anybody? I'm just going to check here. All right. I value, but I also value telling the truth. Sometimes telling the truth hurts people. 
And so sometimes we withhold telling the truth because we value not hurting somebody more than we value telling the truth. I don't know if you're beginning to see what's happening, but let me tell you one more. I, I, I value truth-telling, but I also value being liked. And sometimes those two values come into conflict because I, I want somebody to like me, but I also want to tell the truth, and I can't see how those two will go together. Sometimes we say things that doesn't produce warm, fuzzy feelings, and they're still true. And so we have this value clash that inevitably causes us to, in a sense, hire, make a hierarchy of our values. And whether we realize it or not, we go, here, this is more important than this. I value both of these things, but this thing I value more than somebody else or than something else. For instance, you might value working hard, but you also value your family. And those two values sometimes come into conflict. So I want us to think about that day, today because the values that we hold at our foundational level are those values that we're willing to die for. And those are the ones that we go to when everything else uh, clashes with it. You know, one of the values of church and church as a whole is, is we are, God designed the church to be holy. I don't know about you, but I don't really like that word holy a lot. Because it has all these connotations. I mean, holier than thou. Anybody heard that? Holier than thou, or, or maybe the whole idea. It, it feels like this superiority thing. If you're holy, you know, you're better than everybody else. Or you're legalistic. Or although There's these connotations to that. And I, and I think we need to kind of come back to what God intended with the whole concept of holy. What does it mean to be holy? It's not do's and don'ts. Holiness isn't about do's and don'ts. It means to be distinctive. Holy means to be distinctive, unique, but not distinctive just to be different. You know, we live in a world where, it's, uh, where we want to stand out in the crowd. I remember, I can't remember which, uh, which restaurant I saw quite a few years ago. They had a little, you know, on one of those reader board signs that said, uh, you're unique, just like everybody else. Uh, and, and we want to stand out. You know, we got a new car and it's, it's, or a couple years ago and it's white, like every other car of that model. And, you know, the first thing I wanted to do is do something so it looked different, to stand out. But holiness is not about standing out. Holiness is about being distinct on purpose or for a purpose. If I can describe it this way, God called the people of God people of Israel, ultimately now the church, to be an example of what it's like to be people who love God and know they're loved by God. And in that sense, we're supposed to be different because we live our lives knowing that we have a security with God. And in fact, the expression I'd like to kind of say that we go to is, this is how people who know God loves them live. Not living out of fear, not living... And in that sense, the church is intended to be holy. A guy by the name of David Clayton said this, made this uh, really interesting statement. In, he wrote an article in Christianity Today, and he said, the very existence of a community of people who pursue a set of values different from the social milieu is radical in itself. Just to have a group of people, us, the church, who pursue 
fundamental values that are different than the world around us is in itself radical. Think about that for a minute. Our values set us apart as a church. Our values set us apart because they demonstrate to the world what it's like to be people who put God above everything else because they know they're loved by God. Are you with me so far? All right. So the church pursues different values than the culture around us. However, it's not, in our world today, it's not simply enough to say we're a church. I remember being shocked the first time somebody asked me when I, when I said I was a pastor and they said, oh, you're in a church. And the first thing they asked me was, is that a Christian church? And it surprised me because I, I thought churches were just Christian churches. But then I discovered that there's all sorts of other groups that take that name church. And so it wasn't, in fact, a really bad question. We're a Christian church. It means we hold to something called orthodoxy means that we understand that we accept Jesus as both divine and human. We understand that Jesus is God. So therefore, Jehovah Witnesses are not a Christian church. The Mormons are not a Christian church because they can't hold to that. So we're a Christian church. But we also are a Protestant Christian church. This may seem like a little technical today. And I'm not meaning to be technical, but I, I really want to lay a foundation for who we are as a C3 church. But we're a Protestant church, and Protestant church means that we have a particular view on the Bible. That means we value what the Bible says over our traditions or really anything else. In fact, Martin Luther, who really became the spokesman in the 1600s for the Lutheran church, but the Protestant Reformation made a statement, Scripture only, in Latin, Scripture only. And so Scripture is really important to us. That's who we are as a Protestant church. But we're also an evangelical Protestant church. How many of you heard the term evangelical? Yeah. Wave at me. I just want to see. You know, lights in my eyes, so I'm going to, I got to see the waving of your hands. Wave at me online. There you go. And uh, so we're an evangelical Protestant church. And evangelical means that we believe that you are not born a Christian, you are born again a Christian. We don't, just because you come to church and that your parents come to church does not make you a believer in Christ. It does not make you a Christian. You have to make, we have to make, an individual has to make a decision to accept God's offer. That makes us evangelical. But we're not just an evangelical Protestant Christian church. We are a Pentecostal evangelical Protestant church. And that means that we believe that God has something for us after we come to Jesus and accept Jesus in our life where there's a second experience of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. That's described in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Acts chapter 2, verse 4. That describes it because it empowers us to do the job we're called to do, which is to share Jesus with people. So we're Pentecostal. Now, as a C3 Pentecostal church, there's some unique things about us, which I'll leave to talk about in the next uh, few weeks. But I, I want to stay with me. I, I, I want to just right now, I want to just kind of lay out some of those now foundational values that we have as a Pentecostal, evangelical, Protestant, Christian church. 
what's our foundation of values? Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 to 3. Paul writes to, or sorry, not Paul. We really don't know who wrote Hebrews. Somebody suggested to me the other day it might have been Priscilla. I think it'd be really cool to have a female writer of the scripture. Um, and, and I'm happy to go with that, unless proven otherwise. But uh, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 to 3 says, Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teaching about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, and God permitting, we will do so. So Paul, our, the writer of Hebrews says, let, let's not have to go back and lay those foundational things. Here's what I found as a pastor. Every once in a while, we have to go back and lay them down the foundational things. We forget about them. They get moved in our life because culture is contrary. Generally, our culture is contrary to biblical value. And so every once in a while, we have to sit down and we've got to say, hey, these are the things that are foundational these are the hills I'll die on. So what I'm sharing with you today, I, I want you to understand, these are the hills that I'm willing to die on. And I believe that as church, as we are. First one is this. So I, I want to look at this. First one is this. The value of the Bible as authoritative in our lives. In 2 Timothy 3.16, we already read it, but I'll read it again. All scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Foundational value for us, and if we can't agree on that, we're going we're gonna to run into constant troubles. Our culture around us is not what dictates our value. Our culture around us filters our values. But our value on the Word of God is saying what the Bible says and what God says to us in the Bible, that is the bottom line. That's kind of where the buck stops. We, we, there is no other place to look after that. If, if you can't settle yourself with what it says in the Bible, there's going to be some trouble working through Christianity. And, and I want to be clear about that and saying that that's, the Bible is it's not other, it's not one of, it's the foundation. And Paul writing to Timothy, he says it's, it's God-breathed. And because it's foundational, it's what we teach from. But it's also what sometimes we have to say, hey, uh, this rebuke saying you don't do that. Have <laughs> you ever had to say to your kids at a uh, moment when they're starting to do something that you know, like, don't touch that stove. That's kind of the sense in which Paul's saying uh, rebuke is, you do, that's not going to help you. Hold up. Stop. Don't do that. And then he says it's also good for correction. Sometimes, I, I don't know about you, maybe, maybe it's only me, and I, I'd hate to think it was only me, but I, I do things that I wish I'd never done, and that ultimately are things I shouldn't have done. Sometimes I discover them on my own, and sometimes somebody else discovers them for me. Thank you, my wife. And, uh, you know, those things happen. But correction is part of believing that the Word of God, the Bible, is the foundational value. So here's the problem. When we get corrected, we don't like it, and we want to explain it away. So when we give correction, if we value the Bible, correction always comes because it's, we're not in alignment with the Bible. All right? Correction. Training. How are we doing? All right? I'm not trying to be heavy. I just, I, I just feel like this is a season in our church. We've got to talk about some stuff. Okay? Which is why I'm sitting here rather than standing and proclaiming. I actually want to have a conversation. So the second thing, here's the second value that I think is foundational, and this is a value that I'm willing to die in, is the value of faith. The value of faith. 
Again, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5 to 6, here's what, here's what the writer of Hebrews says. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he, com he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Our church is a church that's built on faith. Here's what that means. That means we can't prove everything scientifically because some things we accept by faith. I'm not saying they don't exist. I'm not saying we, we, we don't believe in rationality or we don't believe in, in proving things. I'm just saying the Bible's not a scientific document. And I have to take on faith because I can't prove it in some ways. I have to take on faith that God was involved in creation. I can kind of figure out rationally on a moral perspective to say that God must exist morally, but at the end of the day, I cannot logically always prove it. We have, there is always a step of faith involved in Christianity. It's a spiritual thing. It's a, it's, it's a faith thing, and faith is always involved. I can't convince somebody to accept Jesus. There must be not a rational decision, but at some point there's got to be a state, uh, uh, an action of faith saying, I am willing to accept this even though I don't understand it. We live by faith, not by our works. We live by faith, trusting that God is going to be my ultimate Savior. God is going to be the one who's preparing a place for me. I can't always prove all that. I'm not saying we're not rational, totally rational. But there is faith that is involved in the Christian walk, and there must be faith in the Christian walk. Without it, we're not Christian. Right? I'm, I'm looking. Help me out here. Okay? I'm trying to say some things that are, fr that are, that are, that are heavy on my heart, but they're, uh, I, I want to hear where you're at. Third thing, the third thing that, that uh, we stand on the foundation of is, is the value of grace and forgiveness. Grace and forgiveness. In the church world, there are um, sometimes preacher, preachers, 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 maybe preachers is a better word, I don't know. There's sometimes preachers who are identified and they say, well, they're grace preachers. Uh, I want to be known as a grace preacher, okay? I think grace is fundamental value of the word of God. Paul writes, or sorry, uh, Luke records in Acts chapter 5, verse 31, as part of uh, 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 Peter's message, he says, God has exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgiveness and forgive their sins. I, I don't know if you know this, but God wants to forgive people. He doesn't want to harm anyone. He doesn't want to condemn anyone. He wants to forgive people, and he wants to restore people to the path that is fulfillment of their life and represents what he has for them. God wants to do that, and because of that, God is incredibly gracious. He is long-suffering. He, he puts up with stuff forever. Read the Old Testament. From the beginning to the end, from the very last book, he's still putting up with stuff. He is more gracious than we could ever imagine. But I, we need to understand something. God's grace is not limitless. God is gracious, but there is a point in time where God is no longer willing to put up with that. Now, his grace is far bigger than we could imagine. His grace is far longer than imagine. And we all take full advantage of his grace. 
Romans chapter 3, verse 23 to 24, it says, For all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. I'm willing to die on the hill of grace. That's uncompromising that we are a church full of grace and forgiveness. Pretty quiet in here. That didn't help. There we go. The value of correction. The fourth thing is the value of correction. We don't like it. We don't do it a lot because we're very gracious. But correction is a fundamental value of church. In 2 Timothy 3, we read this already, but let me read it again. Four to, uh, 316 to 4, verse 2. All scriptures God breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for all good works. We don't get corrected, we won't always do good works. Right? In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearance and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Now, correction is not judgment. You can go back to my message on don't be so judgy. You can get that in context. But correction doesn't give us license to judge because there's a purpose in it. Correction is foundational is grace, and correction is built on grace. Judgment is built not on grace. Okay? So there's a different motivation. There's a different thing for that. And the church is a place where correction takes place. Now, later in this month when we talk about being planted, one of the reasons we talk about being planted is because if you can't handle correction, you won't stay around long enough to change. And that's why we got to be planted. And there are going to be some times when you're going to sit in church and you're going to feel uncomfortable because what I'm saying clashes with what you're doing. I will apologize because I'm Canadian, but inside I'm not apologizing. Because it's necessary for all of us to grow and to become who God created us to be. It's no point in letting us, you know what, all of you, if you had kids, you, at one point in time, you trained them to use a toilet. Because you didn't want them sitting in dirty diapers all their life. And sometimes when we don't correct things, we let people sit in dirty diapers. That's a graphic example. I realize that, but it's still the truth. Correction is a value fundamental to us that has to happen. Let me talk about the, the fifth value that, that I just see here. This is the value of repentance. Correction is useless if it doesn't, isn't followed by repentance. Because here's what happens when we get corrected and we're not, we don't hold to the value of correction. We either feel judged or we go, who are you to tell me that? Here, here's, a, here's a dangerous thing, and I'll say this. this is, in some ways, this is a dangerous thing in our Canadian culture to say, because we, as a Canadian culture, we value equality, egalitarianism. We actually don't like authority a lot. And so when we talk about authority, because unfortunately, correction means that I've given somebody authority to talk to me. And so we don't like to do that because we like to be equal. And who's, who's, you know, who are you to tell me that? 
And so when it happens, we tend to, tend to harden our hearts. We do. Who are you to tell me that? I know just as well as you are. I've been a Christian as long as you have. You're just a young upstart. Whatever we might say. The older I get, the more excuses I have. Right? But the point of correction is repentance. So we value repentance. Acts chapter 17, verse 30. Here's what Paul says, or what, uh, what uh, Luke records in this message. He says, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Uh, when you read that, it's pretty hard to exclude yourself. I remember a pastor saying to me one time when he prayed, he said, you know, there's a point, he said, you've, you've repented for everything. Actually, I don't know. I live a new day every day, and I find there's something else that I need to turn around and I need to repent from. I'm not perfect till I get to heaven, and I'm not even sure that the Bible teaches I'll be perfect in heaven. I'm messing with you now. I'm not talking about that. There is a value in the church of repentance. Okay? Correction without repentance is pointless. Right? If you're corrected and you say that's not godly or that's not biblical, repent. Say yes, you're right. God's speaking to me about that. I'm turning around. I'm not doing that anymore. Help me not do that anymore. Help me walk in a different direction. What Paul, what, what Paul says to Timothy, he says, correct rebuke and encourage with great patience and instruction. But in verse 16 or verse 17, he says, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Right? We repent so we can get going in the right direction. Repent is a really important word in the Bible. It doesn't just mean I'm sorry. I think, I think sometimes in our culture it's hard to get that because we think being sorry means I'm repenting. Actually, repentance is a, is a word that is used to describe direction. Its best equivalent is U-turn. So when I repent, I am making a U-turn in my actions. Are you doing okay? I wish I could tell what they're doing in the rest of the locations. They turn me off. <laughs> right, so here's, here's five things. I'm, I'm going to add one more thing. I'm, it's, not, it's, not in the, it's not in the, so if you can't find the verses, it's okay. Here's something else that we find fundamental. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because as, as of late, I believe there's been some misunderstanding about what our church, our church stands for. Because grace is a big, big thing for us, sometimes we get misunderstood. Happens in the New Testament, happens with Acts, happens with all sorts of stuff. Because we have grace and we give people lots and lots of time to change behavior, it means there's lots and lots of us, me included, who are still working on behavior. And in our world today, there are, there are flashpoints of behavior. And, and I've said this before, but I'll say it again in, in different contents. We value family. It may seem like a bit of an odd fundamental value, but family is the primary metaphor that God uses to describe his relationship with his creation. And because of that, it is an incredibly important example and metaphor. And, and many of the things that we, when we talk about family and marriage and sexuality, many of those things are not do's and don'ts, they're out of the fact that this represents, this is God's intent, this is God's creative intent, 
and it's therefore becomes the representative of his relationship with people. So, so that there is no confusion, okay, anywhere in our locations. We believe and we value marriage as between one man and one woman. That's what the biblical pattern is. In uh, Genesis 2, 21 to 24, so the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord made, God made man from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Fundamentally, biblically, in the, tr in the traditional history, not tr historic Christian faith, which we are part of, marriage is between one man and one woman. Now, that does not mean that people who are um, same-sex attractive are unwelcome here. And, I want to, and I'm saying this very carefully today. Across all our locations, is we, as a church, we value grace, we accept people on a journey. Anyone, everyone, because if we didn't, I couldn't be here. However, we do have values that I'm clear. We will not and we do not affirm sin. I know that's not a popular thing in our culture today. I'm careful. And uh, Romans 8, verse 15 says, The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought your, about your adoption to sonship, and we cry, Abba, Father. So family's really, really important as an example because we're adopted. And the family that God dictated, that God created, was a man and a woman. Now, I know we're all, we all have friends who are LGBTQ. We have LGBTQ that come to our church. And they're welcome, always will be. And there's some of you that come that lie. And you're welcome. Always will be. But I don't approve of lying. The Bible doesn't approve of it. Some of us are greedy. I'm not, please understand, I'm not downplaying one thing over the other. I'm not trivializing. I'm just saying acceptance cannot be mistaken for approval. And, and I want it clear. Somebody asks you about our church and say, hey, does your church affirm the LGBTQ lifestyle? No, we do not. However, anyone is welcome here. Now, we wrestle with all sorts of things because we get value clashes here. Right? That's why I talked about that to begin with. We get value clashes. We get a clash between our grace value and our repentance value. We get a clash between our grace value and our family value. We get a clash all that time. And this is what I want us to know as a church. We're not always doing it right. Sometimes we're getting it wrong. Sometimes we're extending grace when we should be offering correction. And sometimes, unfortunately, we're offering correction when we should be extending grace. But I, I, want, I, I wanted the church to know today, and this is, this is why this is so heavy in my heart today, I, I just want to be clear on these things. I'm surprised how many times that I read in the book of Acts or when Paul writes and he says, there's this rumor going around. <laughs> it's been said, and I just want to clarify it's not true. And, and I, uh, are you guys doing okay? Because uh, this, this, this is a heavy issue in our world. Yep. Right? It's a heavy issue in our world, and we're, we're asked all the time. You're asked all the time to say, do I approve? Do I disapprove? And, and it's misunderstood. Yep. 
value of man and a wife and the sanctity of sexual relationships within marriage because it protects the family that God uses as an example of his relationship with the church. So quiet in here. You guys are so, I don't know, you know, it's just so quiet. And you online, you're not giving me any feedback. So, you know, (laughs) so hard. You doing okay? All right. I I know this is not the normal inspirational message I like to give, but I I do feel like we need to do it. So as we, so I wanted to lay this foundation. These are foundational values. And this is, and, and I said, I titled this message on purpose, The Hill I'll Die On. These are the values that I believe are for church, for our church. These are non-negotiable. These are the ones where personally I'm willing to die on those. That I'll offer grace, that we will give correction with the intention of restoration, repentance. And we believe the family is what God created it to be, not something else. And that Above all else, we will conform to the Word of God. And that becomes our final, final. It's not something else. We're not going to twist it. We're going to read it as it says. Thanks for tuning in today. Each week, we gather in cities across our region and online to explore the truth of freedom available to all in the message of Jesus Christ. To find a gathering near you or to find out more, head to c3church.ca.